Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. General Sindola, please report to the briefing General Sindola, please report to the briefing You don't look happy. So the 20 starts off where Cassian has gathered the rebels who were essentially just told that they would not go and fight towards Jin's plans, uh, but that they actually agree with her and her pleas worked uh, and that they're going to fight alongside her to honor her father uh, and kind of do the Hail Mary to go after the plans for the Death Star. Yeah, so it seems to me that they're going to have to commandeer a couple of rebel uh, impounded vessels to get her to dodge, but without actually uh, exposing themselves. So they all cram inside this little cargo freighter and they uh, come up with two lies of note. One to the dispatcher on the rebel base, which is where they come up with their uh, their their call sign. Uh, and the next is a little further down the road when they're about to enter Scarif and they have to lie to the Empire on the inside to say uh, who they are and why they should be granted clearance. Exactly. So when they arrive uh, in good old classic Star Wars fashion, they wait for their ship to be boarded so that they could then knock out the Imperials, steal their armor, and then go on the uh, go on the offense. Uh, Cassian, Jin, and K2 go undercover uh, to kind of go and find the Death Star plans where Bodhi stays back with the ship and everybody else kind of goes on an all-out assault that they're going to secretly kind of stalk the Imperials by placing some magnetic detonators and on Cassian's word, they will light them up like 10 people looking like 100. Exactly. And uh, up on the main control deck, uh, Director Krennic sees all these explosions happening out in the field. And this is when their cover's blown. He knows that there's been an infiltration and they deploy even more troopers than they already had. And so this forces Jin and Cassian and K2 to be even more stealthy on the inside. Yes. Uh, so Tarkin gets wind of this, uh, that the rebel incursion has occurred. He calls in Vader, and uh, he is clearly not very happy. Uh, the rebels realize it's a now or never moment, so they gabble, gather all their resources. They realize they've had reb- they have rebels on uh, Scarif, and uh, they may as well back them up. And so Mon Mothma gets the, the rest of her team and, and her, uh, her ace pilots to go towards Scarif. Uh, Bail Organa says he's going to go get in contact with his old Jedi friend, and the person he'll put a job on the task for is someone who he trusts with his life. That's right. Uh, So at this point, it's an all-out war brawl uh, on the beaches uh, of Scarif, and it's very exciting. The last thing we see in the 20 is after a little bit of finagling, uh, Jin and Cassian and K2 are gained access to the main deck where they have to begin searching for the Death Star plans. Yeah, exactly. And that's the 20. We see a bunch of AT-ATs. It's some incredible... uh, beachfront warfare it's uh it's awesome well not only uh do they manage to capture the aesthetic of star wars uh better than perhaps any uh post-acquisition film specifically in this 20 post-acquisition 20 yeah the most this is of it just feels like the last half hour of a new hope but in a bigger way and the next 22 and the next 20 but also yeah of course because vader's coming out of the next 20 in Mm. a way that's more exciting than almost anything they've done since disney bought it but um they managed to uh, reconstruct that image of Star Wars mm. in an entirely new environment. Like we talked recently about how uh, 
beaches in Star Wars have never been seen before. This is a, the first really tropical kind yep. of destination we've seen, other than maybe Kashyyyk briefly in Re Return of the Revenge of the Sith is kind of tropical. Jungle-esque. This is jungly as well, but in a more um, tropical. accessible, earthly kind of way. Yes. In fact, it kind of looks like Vietnam, especially with uh, the really crude-looking rebels coming in with their big heavy helmets in the back of a giant freighter. Like That looks straight out of Forrest Gump. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, it really is a visual 20. I mean, it is spectacular what they do. And the next 20 is going to be even more spectacular. Uh, but when they get the rebel ships uh, underneath the the shield and they're flying low, like that's incredible. The ATATs getting them up and close. Well, and it's cool uh, to see something happen on such a grand scale in Star Wars in essentially broad daylight like yeah. because so many of our big space battles happen in space and space is inherently dark it's the first time since hoth the for, well unless you uh include the prequels in which case the the battle for naboo is a bright and sunny day also I, sorry i meant in terms of uh within the atmosphere but still using ships okay yeah all right because or there, may, there may be something in the prequels, but I don't think there is. Well, and you could also argue that the battle for Naboo with all the battle droids doesn't even look like Star Wars. No, that's true. It just looks like the Windows XP home screen. Oh, that's such a good pull. That's exactly what it looks like. It's always looked like that. Are you familiar with a subreddit called Repaintings? Uh, yes, I am. That really would work well. Well, it's this we great... We need the battle droid tanker to come over that hill. Yeah, it's a great subreddit where people like go to the <laughs> thrift store and they'll buy a kind of... I just felt a raindrop. We're outside again. Hopefully that's not a raindrop. Um, the people will buy thrift store paintings and then they'll add something to it yeah. just to make the painting a little bit more interesting. And Star Wars stuff appears a lot. Like yep. if it's just like a nice horizon shot, we'll paint an X-Wing fighter. Or a second sun. Or a second sun. That's a really easy one to do. Or a little Ewok or something just to give it a little bit mm. more more character. And and certainly the Windows XP screen could use <laughs> a few battle troid tankers or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned in your recap um, the classic Star Wars idea of putting on enemy clothing to disguise yourself Love it. in enemy territory. It kind of didn't even occur to me what a classic Star Wars trope that is. Mm. Um, I picked up on it in this. I mean, it really seems to celebrate the original Aren't You a Little Short for a Stormtrooper? that You can see uh, Jin's kindly face like through the big opening, through the big maw in her black helmet. But even still... She's super short for a stormtrooper. <laughs> super short. <laughs> so even when the thing is closed, it's like it's still very obviously not the guy that went in that ship. No, but do you remember a little while back in the podcast we were talking about how the prequels, no, the the sequels haven't necessarily utilized that classic Star Wars creature of the Black Lagoon suspense? Correct. This is another thing I'm not sure we've really done. Have We've had good guys infiltrate enemy, enemy territory, but I don't think they've put on... Uh, enemy clothes except Finn starts out that way that's right Finn starts out in in and he's not he's perfectly sized for a stormtrooper you're right I really like that's a great point though that we kind of got to see I do think we will see creature from the Black Lagoon in the Rise of Skywalker we should I think there are enough um, hints and ways in which the story can require it and provide exposition in certain kind of ways like that it can be important um 
I don't know if that'll come though in terms of uh, a, a costly kind of like a going undercover style. It's used very heavily and in a way that only can be a Star Wars reference in Stranger Things 3. Oh, really? Yeah, they put on some bad guy clothing, some Russian clothing, and they infiltrate the base. Oh, okay. And it just, it feels like, I mean, they almost look like uh, because the imperial clothing, especially what Cassian wears, yeah. is, is so uh, sophisticated. Mm -hmm. Like it's just kind of like a classic look right. of of fascism mm -hmm. oh big time absolutely <laughs> like the green and gray it's the yeah the uniforms are very tyrannical that's right do, uh, do numbers exist in star wars i know that's kind of like a broad <laughs> question but like we've talked before about how like you'll see you'll see the way r2d2 and 3po are written yes because those characters don't exist in the the basic uh vernacular of star wars within their universe but then like k2 only talks in numbers mm -hmm. and obviously numbers exist numbers exist of course uh so i mean then that's just the kind of thing when it comes to the naming conventions why it's r2 is a-r-t-o-o-o um i mean it's an it, i uh, there's gonna be inconsistencies with it uh there's orabesh which is the language like the the alpha the alphabet of the star wars universe right uh, and so I'm sure there are equivalent characters there, but then spelled out phonetically to allow for the translation to work. You have to kind of broaden those out. So I don't know if like there's maybe a digit, like a direct digit to digit way of comparing them. I really don't know. The... This is one of those Star Wars things we don't want to get too hung up on. Uh, it's one of those ones that I it, it, you might you might just wish you didn't unpack it. Right. <laughs> we do get to see the classic droids in this for a quick cameo. Yes. It's kind of satisfying. Yeah, there's a bunch of satisfying... Uh, imperial propaganda so they're the original good guys we see in the original star wars and that opening shot with them in the mania that is the opening sequence of a new hope happens like half an hour after this sequence we're watching now it happens yeah immediately after after why, the next one why are they around what, what are they mean? what is their purpose what are they doing who do they belong to i don't know what you're talking about R2 and 3PO. Oh, R2 and 3PO. We're still talking about them. Yeah, sure. Uh, R2 and 3PO, they belong to uh, Bail Organa and Ramus Antilles. Okay. And so Ramus would have been um, one of the top captains for Bail Organa, uh, and they're just part of the crew. Okay. Yeah, they're just service droids. That's understood now, I guess, and you could I could figure that out on my own, but it's interesting. It never occurred to people to wonder why these two seemingly out-of-place droids are where they are in the opening of Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, it definitely... That kind of that intro scene to Star Wars where they are seemingly, like, our perspective characters, our main characters. They are the main characters for the first 10 minutes. Right. The only characters, really. Well, Leia as well, you can throw in there. Right. Um, but I, I think, to a degree, they're supposed to just kind of not matter. Right. I, in When that initially is portrayed, I mean, George Lucas goes back and they're the storytellers of it all and R2 has insane significance. But I, I think it's kind of nice that they're just like, there could be two random droids aboard. I mean, they they have so much history and that works perfectly. But I think this 20, to be honest, highlights that, um, that same kind of, uh, that notion even better uh, for the Rebels connections that it has. Okay. Because it has these innocuous moments that would be the same way you would perceive 3PO and R2 just being on Tantive 4. And that's just seems reasonable. Well, especially R2 but, blends in pretty well. Like there could yes. be an astromat droid anywhere. 
Yes. And so, like, I don't want to actually give away my trivia, so I'll ask you uh, a trivia right now that you won't get. Uh, the oh, legend. Great. I'll start with the legendary one, just so I can do my anecdote afterwards. Okay. Uh, but what are the? What's the first words? Of the, what are the first words of the twenty? The first words of the twenty. And what? Are the, what's the significance of them? Or either or. Um. I don't know. Okay. The first words of the twenty are General Sindula, please report to the briefing room. Okay, so it's a page. Yeah. So that means almost nothing to you, but no. General Sindula is one of the main characters in Rebels. Oh wow! And so like. That's exciting. Literally, in to me, probably a top fifteen character in Star Wars. Okay, an incredible, incredible character, but just thrown in the background. She is part of the rebellion throughout this entire time frame. It works. Her ship, which she pilots, the Ghost, is in the Battle of Scarif. You don't like, but you don't get like the details. They don't show her. But like that's that's phenomenal. Yes. The next twenty, they're going to show uh, a droid that is the main droid from Rebels, her main droid, Chopper, and so that one they just kind of like subtly are putting that in there. And so I love those kind of little references to things that just fit within the whole other kind of way of the universe and just the lived-in universe in the galaxy. But you could really tell the story from anyone's perspective, and this, that's what's so great. Yes, this movie does a nice job with with that, and it's really, I mean, other than characters that were created for film and then transitioned into animated TV shows, mm. this is the first film that introduces characters that initially began as cartoon characters and then became live-action characters, Saw Gerrera being the most prominent example. Mm-hmm. But we don't have anything else to uh, to compare that to yet. Yes, correct. Um I'm intri- I'm intrigued to have more of that. I think the Mandalorian's almost a guarantee that we're going to get. Well, that's that's live action too, but like I think a good example is what is the current animated show that's kind of kiddish? Oh, Resistance. Resistance. So there's a very good chance some Resistance people could turn up in episode 9. Well, I mean, Oscar Isaac's in the show. I know, that's but he was Emma. created for film. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh the other way around, I don't think they'll show up in episode 9. I mean, there's a chance. Yeah, why not? Uh yeah. Uh, I think there's a better chance because Dave Filoni's so heavily involved in Rebel, like who created Rebels, right? Uh, and created Clone Wars basically with George Lucas. But Dave Filoni is now uh, John Favreau's co-showrunner, and so right. by having him know the lore of the best cartoons of Star Wars history, like the back of his hand, he's created. He created Ahsoka. He created Saw Gerrera. Like so many of these characters, it makes a lot of sense for him to be able to slip in there some some key people because of all of the canon Mandalorians. He's created everyone, I think. Oh, wow. I don't know if there's a single canon Mandalorian that was not created by Dave Filoni because Django and Boba Fett aren't Mandalorians. They just stole Mandalorian armor. So it's so interesting how much influence he's had on Star Wars to not be a like a broad household name. Yeah, I thought that was actually because uh, John Favreau was on Kimmel and he gave Dave Filoni a shout out, which was nice. He did, but he said, "I'm working on it with a guy named Dave Filoni," yep. which is very reasonable to say on yep. an, on. ABC, like late night TV, to somebody and to a broad audience that wouldn't necessarily know who he is. But to hear him described that way seems so silly because he's so impactful on Star Wars. Yeah, it really is. Uh, It's kind of odd, but it goes to show that it's the big name. Right. But that's why I really am excited for The Mandalorian because I think that's a really perfect blend. And that's where you kind of you have to worry that like, okay, you have Ryan Johnson, you have Dan and Dave. Is Ryan Johnson going to be that voice? That could potentially work. Ryan Johnson knows the deep, deep lore. None of us know what Dan and Dave know of Star Wars. Right. And so things like that, you kind of, you always want to have a guy like Dave Filoni. It's never a bad thing to have his input on it. No, no, exactly. Now, a really gratifying moment where um, Mon Mothma and Bail Organa are discussing, of course, 
Kenobi. Yes, of course. And Leia, but specifically the Leia reference, I trust her with my life, mm. is kind of a loaded line considering in no time at all, he will die. Yes. Because she is taken prisoner by the Empire, Leia. Yep. So to trust her, that doesn't seem like an accident to me. It Like, I will trust her with my life. And and you love her and you should trust her because she's great. Yep. But you will die trusting her with your life. Yep. However, because he trusts her with his life and trusts her with the information, ultimately the lives of everyone else in the galaxy are spared. And so yep. although... But it's, it's it goes to show that Bail Organa is the... He's just the accidental martyr. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't quite realize it, but like his death is incredibly impactful and it goes completely in vain to ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the galaxy. I mean Lei is really the only one who uses his death to make kind of like amends for it. And they do a really good job, I think, of um, fleshing that out through other means of canon, but Bail Organa, when you look at it just from even a movie perspective, has some serious significance. Right. Some serious significance when you think about who was left actually fighting on the Jedi side. You have on that ship, you have Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Bail Organa. Right. This is the last connection. And so the fact that he's trusting it to Leia, uh, that is all of the hope of the rebellion. But why does so much pressure get placed on Obi-Wan to save the day, who is at this point a decrepit old hermit? Like, why is he the only hope? He's given them really no reason in a generation now. He's the only Jedi Master on the face of... Why, in, why do we need a Jedi you? Master? Because all of the other Jedi... No, no other Jedi has survived. And Obi but again, why, like, why does the current age of the rebellion need any Jedi so badly? It, that was the whole point of the original trilogy. Right. I don't know what to answer that in regard to it. Up until, like, we... I just, have... I just find it odd that Mon Mothma, of all people, who doesn't even know Obi-Wan Kenobi's name it's in the this... the Hail Mary. This, I guess. It's, it's basically... Like, we literally, like, the Rebels just went to Scarif. Like, we just basically put all of our people on the front lines, and we told them not to, but now they're all going to potentially die anyway, so we really don't have a choice anymore. Right. We have to go all in, or... We're going to just all lose. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, this is our final push. How many Jedi are left in the galaxy? I know you've got, you, you've been holding on to one, and we just ran it. Like the only other Jedi we knew of was Ezra Bridger, and he's literally just got shot out into the unknown regions, and we aren't finding him again. Well, I guess it's easy for me to forget that in a, in a big way, Han Solo's philosophy on his, his atheism about mm. the Force is not necessarily the galactic majority philosophy. It is. Okay. Okay. It is. But not in the rebellion. But not in the rebellion. And and maybe that's a thing that I think I forget, and I think probably a lot of people forget. Uh, when Jin, they're about mm. to, to run out and do this Hail Mary, Jin turns to everybody and she says, may the force be with us. Yeah. It's very easy to forget that the force is not just unto the Jedi. Mm. It is a governing philosophy that that it kind of covers us all together within uh, the, the rebellion the, yeah but yeah absolutely it's a creed that they go on because they believe in in the times when the jedi were the peacekeepers and and uh, white beardy says it in the beginning of the final act of a new hope too he says may yeah. the force be with you yeah 
Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of really actually let's there's a lot of really good lines. Let's go over a couple. Okay, there there are a lot of good lines. A lot of them kind of contribute to a greater monologue, like that initial uh, Cassian monologue where he talks about how he could never forgive himself. Yeah, that's an exceptional monologue. Um, everything I did, I did for the rebellion. That every that whole kind of chunk was was spectacular. Uh, and then kind of tagged by K2's Jin, I'll be there for you. Cassian said I had to. Yes, that's, of course, hilarious. Yeah. Um, Bodhi has a good line in there. Won't be comfortable. It'll be a bit cramped, but we'll all fit. We could go. Right, right. <laughs> it's just like, I guess we could maybe make it work. I like this. Saw Guerrero used to say, yeah. one fighter with a sharp stick and nothing to lose can take the day. Yeah. I like take the day. I really like that, too. They have no idea we're coming. They have no reason to expect us. If we can make it to the ground, we'll take the next chance and the next on and on until we win or the chances are spent. Oh, that's a really good, good line. Really good. Your behavior, Jen Urso, is continually unexpected. Yeah, that is a good one. That's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a bad feeling about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, keep quiet. What? <laughs> that's a nice little, little. Do we have any? Yeah. I have a bad feeling about this in Solo. Um, no, Solo is, I have, a, I have a really good feeling about this. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's the hint. Yeah. Um, uh, keep the engine running. You're our only way out of here. Yeah, Tarkin's line, very menacing. Uh, prepare for the jump to hyperspace and inform Lord Vader. <laughs> uh, and I want to talk about how the movie got its name. Rogue One? Ro- Rogue One. That's a, that's a decent little impression. I hate it. It's a, it's stupid. I, I hate it and... It, it makes you, it forces you to wonder how this movie got its name at all. Like, well, like was it as completely haphazardly designed as is this sequence? I guarantee you the name was uh, determined very early on. Yeah. I think the name was determined probably- By a focus group. No, I think the name was very much a creative realization uh, amongst one of the writers where- they're very early in developments on, okay, we have rebel spies who have gone in and they found the Death Star plans. Okay, well, we have all these squadrons. Um, let's let's provide a little bit of history. Rogue squadron, it just kind of aligns. We have like a band of uh, kind of spy, rebel spies that, that go rogue. Okay, well, let's just make this the origin of that squadron. But you think they came up with the word rogue before they decided they would go rogue? Well, Rogue Squadron's from uh, Empire Strikes Back, and so it was. It is, yeah. But they all die in Rogue in Rogue One. Well, that's Rogue One. Oh, not Rogue Squadron. Oh. They're the first Rogue. I see. So that's where the the line like Rogue Squadron comes from, and so that's why it's a really cool name in the sense of they were probably creating this storyline and thought, oh wait. Let's make this Rogue One, the first one. And they thought it would be a really, really cool title. And it would be a really cool title if people remembered Rogue Squadron and if they had done a remotely good job of, you know, aligning that and actually having this line carry some weight. Yeah. Like even Red One would have made more sense for this. I'm okay (laughs) with the name of the movie. It just feels like a focus group invented it and they built a movie around it. And it turns out that movie was pretty good. (laughs) Well, I mean... They did build a movie around one line in the uh, in the crawl of a new hope. So. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's right. Um, that's kind of all I have for quotes. I really didn't like the exchange between Cassian and Jin. She says, "I'm not used to people sticking around when things get bad," and he says, "Welcome home." Oh yeah, I thought that was really stupid. Welcome home. Yeah, I didn't have any takebacks, but I'm now going uh, in retrospect, I uh... no naming the movie Rogue One in this sequence is a huge takeback for me. 
Well, I also the Cassian Jin exchange there is pretty bad. And I have to continue nitpicking uh, Chirrut's force sensitivity. Okay. I I know I know that you're totally at peace with it, but like he is nowhere in this twenty, and then all of a sudden he's just sitting on the ground, and he of of everybody. He recognizes the huge Imperial Walker coming through the smoke. Well, that Granted, makes he sense. could feel the vibrations in the ground. That makes a but ton like, of sense. Couldn't everybody? No, that makes a ton of sense. You have so much. You're so. I just find o- it so inconsistent so what he's able to do. It makes complete sense. Everything yeah. he's doing is heavily based on timing. Everything he does is timing. Right. And so that just that seems to really align with force for me he just but he knows what it is he knows where they're coming from he knows to when agree, yeah when to indicate to his comrades that it's time to gtfo i just find it's really inconsistent what this blind man is able to but he's also a team with baze baze saves his ass constantly i don't think constantly. so i think he saved his ass once in this entire movie and they suggest that he saves his ass constantly no, Baze is constantly there with his machine gun taking down the majority of people while Chirrut aims up his one crossbow and takes <laughs> out like a friggin' ship with it. I mean, Chirrut's been impactful, but... Uh, I just feel like these characters don't need to be in this movie. I just wish this movie was like a two-hander. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely some things you could... Uh, I do believe, though, the reason why the cast is so large is because you don't want to feel that emotional connection to... That's true. The characters too, too, too much. That could be so, but I think they could have given us a lot more Krennic. They could have given us oh, way more Krennic. Completely agree. Backstory. Completely. Still killed him off because he's a bad guy. Well, what they could have done is actually, if they were going to freaking have Mads Mikkelsen make the character decent. Yes. Total waste. That's true. They could have expounded on that character mm-hmm. too. A couple other good lines. Uh, one great one between Bodie and K2 would be, then they shut the gate and we're all annihilated in the cold, dark vacuum of space. That's right. I have that written here too. Not me. I can survive in space. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he's a good character. He is so good. And I love his design. Whoever designed that yep. character, I love that he's huge. Great Star Wars design. Just a great looking Star Wars design. Yep. Yeah. Definitely uh, take some notes, Battle Droid designer. That's right. Who was uh, probably George Lucas and someone else. Let me give you a trivia question. What three rebel squadrons are deployed after the Scarif mission is realized by Mon Mothma, Mon Mothma, gold, red, and blue. That's correct. Do you know? Did you, did you have any like particular feelings about? This is just an opinion I have, an editorialization. Uh, did you have any particular feelings about the physicality of who I think was Blue Leader? Blue Leader being porn stash straight from the seventies. No, I well, we were talking about the same person, but my interpretation was bargain bin Gary Oldman. Oh, I didn't directly think of that no <laughs> i just thought they did an incredible job of making him look like he was somebody you would have cast in 1977 yes that's a great way to put it yeah but, just I, because the whole point is that like he's a little mustache but gold the gold squadron and red squadron they're in the battle of yavin in a couple days whereas blue squadron we find out what happens to them in 20 minutes Oh, and it's pretty friggin' brutal when they close the shields and he doesn't make it. Yep, the couple of them don't make it. That is pretty bad. They it's just pretty rough. Splat like a fly. They do on a car windshield. Do you have any more trivia for me? Uh, yeah, a couple trivia here. Uh, Padawan question: Why was Bodhi worried about making it to the surface of Scarif? Uh, how was he worried? Because of the shield. Because of the shield. What did they? I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, there was the whole thing about how, like, if they're if they're enclosed in the shield, they'd have to digitally transmit the the plans, which 
<laughs> like I find yeah. it. I also really find it funny that a huge part of the suspense of the climax of this movie could be saved by like Dropbox Premium. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really big file. You need Pied Piper. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Crossover. Yeah. Um, Do I have that wrong, I guess? It, it was a shitty question, to be honest. My other one was the same as yours. Okay. Uh, it was gold, red, and blue. And so uh, the main one was that uh, there's a single entry gate to the planet-wide shield. Uh, the ship is equipped with an access code as long as it hasn't been reported overdue. Uh, a night question for you. What does Krennic instruct his men to do upon learning of the rebel incursion? Get to the garrisons? Well, close. He says deploy the garrison. And he singular. And I don't know what the garrison is. I don't either. It must I be, assumed it was a cannon. It must be. Well, no, it deploy the garrison. I think maybe it's like a football uh, play. Like I think it's like, like de- a blitz. Yeah. Deploy this guy, up, this group of people. Because then we see a bunch of shots of uh, swamp troopers and forest troopers and all these like different uh, armies marching it's, out. It's probably like the same thing as like the arsenal. I guess the garrison. Yeah, I guess it, it is like a, a classic war term. Yeah, I, ju- I assumed it was like the big cannons. Right, right. Okay, um, my, my master question for you, do you want me to do it next? Yeah, sure. Okay, what is the low-grade freighter that the heater, the heroes use to gain access to Scarif? SW0608? That's exactly right. Yes. And I, I looked it up. I did too. Really? Mm-hmm. I just found it curious that it was SW. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to me like not a coincidence. And I couldn't find... You didn't find what it was? I didn't find what the SW stood for. So I just went on assuming that it was just Star Wars and they got lazy. No. So the writer, one of the writers, Chris Wheats, his son is named Sebastian. Okay. Sebastian Wheats, who's born... On June 8th. Cool. SW0608. It's his initials and his birthday. It's his son and his birth. Yeah. That's really It's a shout out to his son. It's said a lot too. Yeah. It's said a bunch of times. like a two minute I directly assumed SW was Star Wars, but the thing I was thinking of is there's no significant June dates in Star Wars. Right. And so I couldn't figure it out. And then apparently that was a big thing on the internet, but one person did the right digging and figured it out. Um, my night question would be, uh, describe the optimal route to the Citadel Tower, uh, described by K2. Uh, there are 89 troopers in the way and you have a, th- you'll make 33% of the distance with, before dying. 100% right. Nice. Yes. Yes. See, this is what I mean. He says a lot of numbers. He does say a lot of numbers. He gives a lot of odds. And once again, all much better odds than 3PO gives. That's true, but that's still not great odds. Well, no, it basically says the most you'll only make it to 33%. It basically says there's a 0% chance of making it past that. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Which is not how it works. Still, everything he says is gold. It is. That's all I have for this 20. It turns out I I thought I had more to say, but it it was good. It was just really action-packed, and all we have left in this movie is uh, everything that Star Wars leans its hat on. Yeah. The only other line I have would be Bail Organa saying he served me well during the Clone Wars and has lived in hiding since the the Emperor's Purge. Yes, I will send for him. The only other thing I wanted to shout out is quickly after they uh, escaped to go do the deed, we get a really quick shot of like a rebel crow's nest with a guy with a helmet on watching the skyline. And it's so Star Wars. It's so original trilogy. It's It's beautiful. Yeah, Yeah. it really is. Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll move on to the news, I guess, right? Yep, not much in the news either. Um, Rick, uh, Rick Famuyiwa, Famuyiwa, Rick Famuyiwa, Rick, 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 
<laughs> he's direct- I'm leaving all that in there, by the way. <laughs> oh, great, thanks. <laughs> he uh, he's directed one or two, I think two episodes of uh, The Mandalorian, uh, and he's he's in talks to direct some Cassian episodes as well. So okay. must be someone that they're liking, could be interested, potentially do a movie. That'd be cool. Are they done uh, all the episodes of The Mandalorian? Because I oh, read, yes. I read this week that the budget is getting up near like 15 million an episode. Yeah, it's complete. I'm pretty sure almost everything's done on it, but uh, they're still spending money on it. Um, they're probably finishing their uh, like final Effects. production information, and that's yeah. the reason why they're getting these numbers of fifteen, uh, because it's t- they're probably doing the tallies now. And I know at one point it was ten, and then it was twelve, and now I guess it's fifteen. Yikes! So. Good. <laughs> I bet it'll look better. Yeah, I mean it's going to be incredible. And people, everybody who visited the set has said John Favreau is breaking ground the way Star Wars should break ground. Sweet. Uh, and what it's apparently doing is it's really cool because um, in performance capture and emotion capture, a lot of the times. Uh, you're dealing with um, a foam ball or like a stick. Like, for example, uh, in Game of Thrones, Daenerys, when she's, uh, was it Drogon? Yep. Drogon is a stick with a green like, oh, yeah. ball on the end. Happens all the time. That's it. And that's yeah. extremely hard to act against. But what John Favreau has done is by kind of including uh, a bit of augmented reality and massive, 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 not green screens, but green screens that are like almost like televisions that are depicting what is actually supposed to be there. That's cool. Ultimately providing the actors the ability to uh, to to leverage their environment in a way that has not been done before. And so it's going to be apparently visually incredible. So 15 million an episode might be pretty damn good. Oh, I'm psyched. <laughs> it, it might it might look like that's like how did he even possibly do it for only that? Right. I'm pretty good about that stuff. I like to just sink in and not look to poke holes in the visuals. Like mm. Tarkin is a good example in Leia, yeah. which we'll see next week. Like some people really want to tear that apart and I want it to look good. Of course. You know, so I'm not going to be looking for it to look bad. But I mean, if it looks great, all the better. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, not much else in the news, um, but <clears throat> Sith Troopers. Okay. They definitely made their rounds in the news, and so those would be the red uh, introduction of the f- First Order Troopers. Did you see these shots going around? I saw one shot, yeah. Yeah, and so awesome. they're called Sith Troopers, though. That's the interesting thing. It Who is. Who do they serve? Yeah. Do they serve the Knights of Ren? Do we they don't serve know of Kylo? A, do we don't know s- of a Sith right now. Do they serve, yeah, like do they serve the Emperor? Uh, are they like something that has been in hiding? Or do they come back with the Knights of Ren? And Kylo's like, okay, you guys got some special forces with you now okay well right and to what extent are they force users because they're I, not just called like stormtroopers they're called sith troopers yeah sith troopers that i see as being for the uh the mission of the sith or the yeah maybe the, the methodology of the sith people there are a lot of people who have worshipped the sith who did not have um, force abilities. Okay, but here's what sets them apart in this installment as compared to the other oh, eight yeah. Star Wars movies. Even when the Sith are doing great, like through all of the prequels and through a pretty substantial portion of the original saga well, as well. I'd say only the original saga. Well, they're coming up though too in the well, prequels. prequels, it's all hidden. But that's what I was going to say. It's hidden in the original uh, series too. Like he's the Emperor. He's not known as Darth Sidious. No, that's correct. Nobody other than Vader knows that that he's like puppet mastering this whole thing, thing using the dark side of the Force. Yeah, the Royal Guard do, and there are other people, but not many. You're right. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's definitely interesting. I'm curious to know who they're going to serve, uh, what role they'll play. I hope they don't just get killed off right away, but they'll probably just be like 
any other normal stormtrooper as right. it generally goes. They as look, it stands, everybody's only going to get 12 minutes in this movie. I know. So much freaking going on in it. So, <laughs> you know what we should do? Uh, we should do a Rise of Skywalker bingo. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And just kind of like predictions on what we think could happen for like all possible scenarios. And we'll update it potentially if we... Uh, if the trailer comes out and it contradicts anything we have in our list. Okay, but I'm not going to watch the movie for the first time with a bingo card on my lap. Oh, fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, God no. But these are the kind of things that like, w not the kind of things where you need to like look out and be like, oh, how many, uh, like, has Kylo's scar moved on his face? Not anything shit like that. I mean, I'm just talking about like plot points and, and big like kind of like, Horse will this or will and, that? Yeah. Exactly. Who will die here? Who will this person be? Could be yeah. Kind of fun. Well, we should all. Yeah, we should definitely both make some predictions. Yeah, and, get it, get that ready before we enter into our sequel trilogy. That's right, which is coming up real soon. It is. Uh, Daisy Ridley uh, has been talking through uh, kind of her press tour on Ophelia that uh, the lightsabers were made lighter. Oh, interesting. Uh, and so how For better acrobatics? Yeah. So I was listening to just a general podcast because there's nothing in the star wars news everybody talks about the same friggin' things in the world but apparently so broadswords were the way george lucas initially wanted the lightsaber to be dealt with and that's the reason why it was slow fighting initially okay and the broadsword style came back for episode seven the prequels totally went towards the more martial arts style whereas yes. everything is a very katana fast paced exactly yeah. and that's kind of what they're apparently switching back to a bit good good it's honestly it looks better i loved the episode seven fight yeah, me too. Um, oh, me too. And so and and everything done in the Snoke's throne room as well. So I don't know. I, th I all I'm hoping for is that just means that there's going to be echoes of uh, Anakin and Obi Wan. That's true. Because I think that I think that'll get fans hyped. You're probably and right. I think there's going to be some serious parallels because of that lightsaber fight in the rain. They're going to really try and make that parallel with Mustafar. Yes. It just seems too fitting to not make it parallel. Right. And there's not really a particular fight that would make sense to parallel it with from the original trilogy. So. Well, and, and in a weird way, color actually plays a pretty big role in the image, in yeah. the aesthetic of each individual Star Wars installment. Definitely. Uh, and, and particularly in this trilogy, like they're all about how... Uh, like the last one was red. Everything was red in episode eight. And uh, Rise of Skywalker has more of a blue hue. It definitely and does. That is and, the water that we're going to. And well, that's even the uh, the title has been done differently for each of these as well. And so like in the initial, I, I don't, I'm trying to think of the Empire Strikes Back. I think it was white. Uh, Star Wars was yellow, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Return of the Jedi was red. Um, all of the prequels were gold. Right. Um, and like boring times new roman font exactly and then uh force awakens was yellow and then red for last jedi and now blue for rise of skywalker yeah right any any more news uh really no there's nothing else uh in the news mosquitoes uh, are eating me alive yeah they are uh i want to try and get through uh master and apprentice because thrawn treason's coming out soon and master and apprentice has been great However, I've never binged books faster than the Thrawn books, so I want to get to that one. Well, I think of it, and not that uh, Audible needs another podcast to promote it, but uh, with Audible, do you get a free book every month with your subscription fee? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's great. So you get a discount if you want to buy extra ones, um, but in general, 
pretty much any audio book you're going to buy through Audible, it's going to work out in the wash where it's like 15 bucks. Because I got and my- you pay 15 bucks a month, so you get a free audio book every month. I re-upped my account recently, and I'm, I'm doing a Stranger Things book right now, but I might, oh, nice. I might slip into a, a Star Wars book next month. Okay, please let me know, and I will gladly give you uh, recommendations uh, on a few different ways in which you can start, and you can kind of just- Pick whichever one you might be interested in. What else you got? Uh, no, that's really everything. Okay. Uh, may as well go to uh, kind of a new segment. That's right. Uh, okay, you want to do that first? Uh, or br- birthdays. Okay, well, yeah, birthdays are really quick. Uh, next Monday, the 22nd, a happy birthday to Terrence Stamp, who played Valorum in the prequels. Amazing. And the next day, Tuesday, the 23rd, a happy birthday to Woody Harrelson. Nice. So the new, the new segment uh, on the podcast is called Gotta Cast One. Uh, I give Ross two famous people sight unseen to... Uh, make a an instantaneous case for why one of them belongs in the Star Wars universe and why the other one doesn't. He has to defend why he chose the person he did and why he didn't choose in the other person. Um, and this week, I'm also going to pick somebody who's slightly in the pop cultural zeitgeist right now. Cool. The big Disney movie coming out this week, of course, is The Lion King, and the two that steal the show are Timon and Pumbaa. So who belongs in Star Wars? Gotta cast one. Is it Billy Eichner or Seth Rogen? Seriously? Tough, right? That is a great one. Um, I'm going to go right to it, right out of the gate. No two ways about it. They both have to 100% be aliens. Okay. Um, I think I think Seth Rogen has to be an alien. I, I think that you could. I think you could do something different with with Billy Eichner. I think in a way not dissimilar from how Tignataro somehow works in Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, I didn't see that, but I know that makes me a philistine. I know. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one because you see Billy Eichner, he's he's not a real person. He okay. is too much of a caricature as a human. But he's got enough of him out there that's not in that persona. He's not always Billy on the street. No, I know he's not always Billy on the street, but even when he's not, he's still kind of and he still has a bit of that kind of edge and that's when he's at his best yeah and so i mean if you're gonna hi- get either of them you're going to get them for a comedic element oh there's no question these are both comedy actors yeah so oh, you could use you could make one of them a droid um let me think billy eichner actually could be a really good droid yeah he could be quite interesting you could put you could easily make him the same kind of droid as k2 um they have a similar enough voice that would work with the product lines in that regard yes uh, or you could make him some other kind of droid, something with potentially uh, a little bit more. The only way in I the see battles. the only way I see Seth Rogen working is in kind of a character not unlike John Favreau's in Solo, like just some kind of like one-off uh, uh, mocap kind of character that utilizes the uh, energy of Seth Rogen in a way that's like not threatening to Star Wars. But I think that Billy Eichner is yet to become as famous as he will, whereas mm. Seth Rogen's a huge movie star. Billy Eichner's he's still going to level up in Hollywood, and I think that he might be multifaceted in drama. Don't forget he's also been in American Horror Story. I didn't see that. Uh, but the fact that he's in it should yeah, tell you does, something. That does, it definitely does. For Seth Rogen, uh, you could, I could see him being more of like a Dex Okay. Sort of role. One where it's like he's kind of like jolly and potentially I could see him being like almost like the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland <laughs> smoking the pipe. Similar sure. to the way Job of the Hut would be, but almost like Oh, but if you make him a you, stoner joke, that's so annoying. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. And you have to and you don't want to make somebody that famous have uh, a Huttonese voice. No. Um so you Oh, I don't know what the species is, but you know the 
the Dr. John guy from <laughs> Return of the Jedi. Yeah. You could make Seth Rogen look like him. Okay. Um, so whatever species that is. Uh, although I will go with Billy Eichner um, as a Rodian. Which is a what? Greedo. Oh, okay. I love that. Billy Eichner as a Rodian. An English-speaking Rodian? An English-speaking Rodian, which there are plenty of okay. in the Star Wars uh, canon. And so an English-speaking Rodian with a ton of sass who's a bounty hunter and with a bit of a with a bit of a heart of gold, but at the same time, uh, an understanding that if you get in my way, I will happily kill you. Okay. But not a total loser like the way Greedo was, because Greedo was considered the laughing stock of the bounty hunter community. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, big time. He was just a screw up. He was just a screw up, big time. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's go with uh, Billy Eichner being a fun bounty hunter. Uh, um, Rodian. Okay, well, let us know your own thoughts on Gotta Cast One. Would you put Seth Rogen or Billy Eichner in Star Wars? And while you're at it, let us know any thoughts you might have about this week's podcast or any others by tweeting at Recorder66 or emailing Recorder66Podcast at gmail.com. Rate and review on your preferred podcast app. And if you want to be caught up to us by the time we record next week's episode, which, by the way, is episode 50 of Recorder66, watch uh, the entirety of uh, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, after which we will be launching into the sequel trilogy which is kind of what inspired us doing this podcast in general. Mm -hmm. So that's very exciting. And until we are together again, may the force be with you.